What's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. This is a slightly different episode insofar as I took myself out of the studio and decided to go and take you a little bit behind the scenes and take you on uh, an outing to uh, the National Stud Farm here in Ireland and it's a pretty amazing place. Anyway, I'm only just going to do a quick intro to my guest today but in advance of this episode, just want to apologize for any uh, poor audio quality. I'm actually using the phone, so if you're listening to this online, then it's, uh, or through the, if you're listening to audio only, you know, poor quality sound, I guess. If you're on video, it's pretty interesting to go and see where I am right now. But anyway, just um, my guest today is Omni Casey. Now, Omni born in Hawaii so he's one of the further guests further away guests that I've had on the podcast although he does work in uh, America he was born in Hawaii and great episode lots of interesting stuff uh, Omni grew up in a family that didn't like talking about finance and money making and all that kind of stuff and he actually became quite good at it but didn't like to share his story. And so today is anyone who is kind of shy and don't like to talk about their story, don't like to talk about stuff, this is one for you. There's a lot of stuff to be learned from it and uh, a lot of stuff, sort of tactical stuff on how to get started in the real estate industry, how to buy um, property and things like that. So hope this is of value to you guys. Sorry about the poor quality audio not only here now, but also in the episode itself. My microphone was out of order on the day of the recording, so I had to use the, uh, the in-house or the, uh, the computer's kind of inbuilt microphone, which probably isn't as good as the studio mic that I have. So without further ado, my conversation with Omni Casey. You are listening to Behind the Facade, and I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Omni Casey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here, Gavin. It's great to have you, uh, Omni. And um, it's going to be, as again, I've said to this uh, in the last couple of podcasts that I've done, I've actually been talking to people based in the US and stuff. And I'm obviously based in, in Dublin and Ireland. So for me, when I sort of say, where are you based? Where are you coming in or calling in from? Uh, it's always an interesting answer. So tell us, where are you calling in from? I'm actually um, from the uh, U.S. and I'm on the East Coast. I'm uh, near Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia area. Lovely. And you said uh, we were just talking before we came on air and you said you're originally from Hawaii, did you say? That is correct. Yes, I grew up in Hawaii. All my family's still in Hawaii. Started my, my business investing career out there and, and my wife's from the Northern Virginia area. So at some point um, I told her, hey, we could do real estate. We can do real estate anywhere we want. And um, she quickly, a few weeks later, decided, all right, we're hopping on a plane and heading back towards uh, the East Coast where her family was. And it was nice to be able to um, have that option. 
Great, great. Well, Amnai, as uh, and I, I, I pronouncing your your name correctly, and thank you for 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 filling me in on how to be how it's done. But for anyone who's listening, it's spelled O M N I, and a lot of people will be thinking, why isn't Gavin calling him Omni? <laughs> anyway, let's get on to the. Uh, you, you've written a book, and we're going to get into that. But before we do, I mean, the book is the Cash Flow Breakfast Club, and it's all about your real estate lessons and stuff like that. But before we get into all of that nice detail, I would like to give people listening a sort of a little context into who you are and how you've arrived at you know, this stage in your life where you're writing books about and giving advice and, and helping coach people in real estate. So could you just give us a little bit of maybe backstory, um, a little context fill in the paint uh, you know paint the edges for us a little and just uh, so we have an yeah, idea how you arrived in the real estate industry I, i'd be happy to i don't tell my story that often i'm fairly new at telling my story and i actually resonate with with your story a, a lot gavin um you know had some success uh over the last 20 years in real estate investing but primarily i have not shared that with friends with family with with colleagues um up until really the last year couple years or so um, you know, and that's probably a, a personal um, limiting belief of, you know, people are going to judge you or, or what, whatever it may be, I chose not to. Um, and so now being able to talk and share my story is rewarding, although very nerve wracking. Um, it usually uh, leads to being able to help help people. So I'm excited about that. But as I mentioned, I, I grew up in Hawaii, very entrepreneurial family. My, my father uh, owned several businesses, uh, roofing, construction, waterproofing. Um, some of our childhood uh, jobs were like on the construction site. So I've uh, been around properties and real estate and hard work most of my life. And, and my mom was an entrepreneur as well. She ran many home-based businesses through catering, through gift baskets and, 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 and customer service. And that allowed her um, the freedom and flexibility. One of her goals was to be able to um, homeschool. Um, me and my siblings, and there's eight of us. We have a very big family. There's uh, wow. 10 total, eight siblings. Um, and Sound like so an she, Irish family. <laughs> exactly, right? And and so uh, at some point, they just say, you know what? Uh, we want to be able to control the the education and, and provide the, the quality that and beliefs, really, what of, of what was important. And so they um, homeschooled us and provided that, that ability, and, and I'm grateful for that. Um, at some point, we all chose to go into public education or various forms of education as we grew older to, to get more involved in sports. But it really was the freedom or the flexibility for them to choose that, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit. And so um, I, I never really knew what I wanted to be. Like some kids know they want to be an astronaut or a firefighter. I never knew what I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I, I'm still working on that. Um, but I do did know. I never wanted to be an employee. I, I, I just, there's something soul draining about the concept. Um, and it's probably because I had um, uh, role models who were not employees that kind of took their own schedule and, and life in, in their, ha their hands. You know, they won and lost with their own efforts. I love that concept. And so I, I got into business building and actually started several businesses um, throughout the years. Um, eventually, I wrote, read the book uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. And, and it's a very popular book uh, by Robert Kiyosaki. He's from Hawaii as well. So it kind of like connected with me. And, and I don't know if it changed my life. Um, it, it, maybe it did. It, it validated what I was feeling, validated what I was thinking. And, you know, up until that point felt like I was maybe weird because everyone's talking about their dream job going up. And I was like, that sounds terrible. Um, and so that, that helped me along the way to kind of say, all right, here's a path. I uh, eventually found real estate. So I love 
I like real estate. I love business. That's what it comes out to. It turns out real estate is an amazing business. There's, there's beauty in the business of real estate. Um, so I became a real estate investor. I've been doing that for almost 20 years. Along the way, I also got my license in five different states as an agent and a broker and a coach. And, and turns out, you know, I love coaching and training on this. So there's so many things that, that are involved business-wise, but it all ties to real estate. And and my identity has become, you know, I'm not the investor guy. And, and so that's, you know, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, but that's who I am. And it feels good to, you know, maybe I, I kind of had an identity crisis most of my life. I finally have that identity that I, I'm proud of and, and I'll probably be that for the rest of my life. That's a great way. And so uh, in terms of, uh, did you, you've never been an employee so, I mean, tell us some of the jobs that are some of the businesses that you created, because I can relate to this. Like my first job or my first business, we'll say, was a fake ID business when I was back in school. <laughs> and I call it a business because it was my it was my pocket money. And then I got into uh, car valeting and I used to every weekend I'd go out and I'd clean cars. And it was actually, in my view, it was very lucrative business compared to working in a bar or working in a cafe or something like that, I made you know good money as far as I was concerned. So tell us about some of your early stage businesses that you started. I love I love that. And 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 to say I was never an employee is not not accurate because at some point I got jobs. I just made sure that there are always jobs that I can control my outcome. So they're typically in sales. At some point in Hawaii I was a I sold surfboards, you know, and I was part of the biggest surf uh, company in Hawaii and, and we taught surfing and and but my income was directly related to my efforts is really what it came down to. Um, I started a retail business with um, some college buddies um, in the mall. We have a store in the mall. We, we like, let's, you, we don't know anything about retail, but we want to be our own boss. We've got a small location and slowly expanded and expanded beyond there. Um, I quickly realized I hate the retail mark, the business, right? Uh, I hate the retail side of things. And, what were and you selling? Got, I'm sorry, what was that? What were you selling in the retail business? So, so we were uh, still teenagers at that point. So things that we, uh, we cared about. So it was um, clothing. It was really customized uh, belt buckles. And we were, um, attracting people basically of our age, right? Um, right, that, right? That don't know what they want to do with their life, but they want to look cool. So we, we had those those things as well. And I, I got the uh, crash course in running a business, um, understanding that you need to pay your lease no matter what, whether you have a profit or not. Understand you can't hire employees if there's no profit. So if you don't have any profit, you have no employees. You are the boss and the employee and the janitor at the same time. Yeah, so a lot of hard knocks, um, you know, uh, lessons, which, which I value. It just was not the, uh, it drained my soul to be in a mall the entire day. Cause I felt like I was still an employee, although I was an owner of the business. Um, and, and kind of, yeah, exactly. It wasn't what no time for surfing once I committed to that. And then real estate really gave me that freedom, um, that focus to say, all right, here's the creativity. Here's, I could every single, you know, transaction, every single property. Um, there's some creativity that I'm able to use. And um, I control the outcome of, you know, how profitable that that will, will be. I've I've actually in my when I started a, a project, a big project, many about I suppose at this stage, it's about 13, 14 years ago. And um, there was I couldn't get any tenants to move in any retail tenants to move in. So I decided I'll start the first one. I'll start a retail business. And when people see how well it's doing 
they'll all want to open stores on that in that development. And that was the theory anyway. And so I started a ladies fashion boutique and I brought a, a lady in to uh, as a as a partner who uh, who kind of did all the buying and stuff. And I anyway, I, I can I realized very quickly that I don't like the retail business. And, uh, and, I, and some of those lessons you discussed totally resonate with me because, I mean, I was the landlord and the business was supposed to be paying me. And I mean, I had to kind of forgive the rent because there was no rent. There was no way that this business was making enough money. I'll, I'll say the, the aha moment I had during that, that process was looking around. We made friends with these other retailers, right? And some were successful, some were struggling, some were just starting out. And the common denominator was everyone was paying rent everyone so the one person winning no matter what was the landlord and i was like that's the aha moment I'm like all right i need to you know fire myself from this position and figure out a better way to, to be the landlord and so that well that was a great you know insight there and uh, and it's 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 interesting i mean what age were you when you started the process of kind of getting into real estate itself i was early 20s maybe 21 ish or so um and um, thinking about it for a while before that, but my, my first acquisition and, and get actually like committing to it, right? So it's the learning process before that. But until you actually dive in and make a commitment and say, this is me, I bought this or this project I'm working on. Um, and and was since it then, it's the only field that I really poured all my effort into through multiple angles. Right. And I mean, that first deal, um, was that after you read the Rich Dad Poor Dad. It was. It absolutely was. So, um, Rich Dad Poor, Poor Dad put me on a path of business, right? And understanding, okay, business. And it wasn't specifically real estate at that point. It was just business in general. And um, it was actually while I was working at this surf shop, selling surfboards to people that have way too money, much money to spend on surfboards or what you know, whatever it is. And and it's on your mind, right? So you're thinking about it, and so you're just kind of talking to it about everyone and the people I'm working with. They're like, that makes no sense. What are you talking about? Um, and, and it really, uh, I, I met some of my, my first mentors through uh, as customers of that surf shop and just talking about it. And they're like, well, you know, what do you do? And, and you're buying a $3,000 surfboard. No one in their right mind should buy a $3,000 surfboard, right? So tell, tell me, you're, you know, and, um, you know, business owners and then, real, you know, real estate investors. And, uh, you know, finally found a real estate investor that, um, you know, we connected right? We connected on surfing, we connected on a few things. Um, and then I just kind of slowly just weaseled my way into like, I'm just going to help you. Like I didn't even ask, can you be my mentor? Can I, I just said, Hey, I want to help you. What, what can I do? Oh, I want to, I want to add value to you. Uh, and I, and he was like, okay, we'll show up at this place tomorrow. And, and it was, was history. And I did a lot of grunt work for a very long period of time. Um, and kind of helping him on transactions, learning just concepts of things that, didn't even have names back then. Like he did the Burr strategy before the Burr strategy was a thing. Yeah. And I was like, that's brilliant. Right. And so, um, and taught me how to find off market deals and, and slowly um, um, be less grunt work and more of a partner by, by showing the value um, that I can bring him as well. And then eventually um, saved up enough money to, to finance and fund my own deal and, and just kept snowballing that from, from that point forward. And tell me this, like describe that um, that first deal that you did. Were you petrified or by this stage, were you confident? How were you feeling? Well, well, great question. So the first deal, it was with someone else, right? So it was, to be honest, I was extremely excited. I was like ready to jump in because 
he was really doing it, right? I was like learning and, you know, and, and so uh, I give a lot of credit for people that can do their first deal on their own. Um, right now, I do a lot of deals on my own. Most of what I do is just just me and my family. The, that being said, um, I don't know if I would have done that, right? Because I, I had, I had the, the luxury of having a, a mentor or at least someone that's willing to kind of let me uh, partner and tag along. And so uh, I kind of got the repetition, the rep, uh, repetitions of, of the confidence before all my own efforts and all my own money was on the line. And by, by that point, I was just confident because I've done it a handful of times at that point. And when did you decide to kind of break away and do it by yourself? Uh, what, so it was probably a year and a half to two year process with a few different. And once I got into the circle, I realized all right, I need to be talking to more and more investors and learning. And, and, and so found several good people, uh, you know, in terms of the, the investor community still back in Hawaii. Um, it was really when I realized that one, um, it's great learning from them, but most of what they're doing is in Hawaii. And it turns out Hawaii is really expensive and I'm starting out. I don't have enough money to, to really do that. And I wasn't comfortable taking money from anyone else. I wasn't comfortable raising funds. Um, I've never been comfortable with that. And it's not to say it's, it's the, the it's a great business plan. It, the reality is because I wasn't ready to tell my story or talk about it, it's almost like I got to figure out how to do this on my own. And that meant I need to find other markets, other markets that my investors were not invest, my 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 mentors were not meant, uh, investing in, and that's when I started looking at overseas uh, in the states, on um, the the uh, um, greater part of of the U.S. and and they weren't investing there, so that's when I kind of broke off within a year and a half to two years to start finding my own cash flow rental properties, basically. And so, did you move lock, stock, and barrel to the U.S. Uh, main mainland, uh, or were you trying to do it kind of remotely? I was doing it remotely for quite a while, actually. Okay. Uh, so I moved to the mainland maybe 10, maybe 11 years ago. Um, but uh, my investing career started way before that. So I got really good at being uncomfortable because I'm a very hands-on person. And, and you know, I, I grew up in a construction background with my father. So I feel like I could do a lot of things. And, and actually, it got easier for me as I started to work, invest remotely, because when I was um, investing in that area, the reality is I wanted to do, do a lot of the work myself. I wanted to go swing a hammer. I wanted to, right, and, and there's a certain satisfaction um, with that, but the reality is that's not scalable. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was able to say, all right, I got to fully vet, hire, trust, find a system to hold accountable people, a good team to run this, this project for me. Um, and once I perfected that, it became much, much easier. And, and that's scalable because that is a fraction of your time. Sure, you're paying people to do the work, but if you're doing more deals, it, it just becomes a bigger, bigger um, portfolio at a faster rate. And so are there any sort of um, tips or strategies or, you know, like if you're going to do that kind of remote working because obviously you're hugely reliant on on a couple of trustworthy people at the other end so what would you say are the kind of the number one things that if somebody was thinking of doing something similar what would you where would you say is the best place to start yeah that's it's always an evolving process because even to this day if i'm trying to break into a new market right i still feel the butterflies because there's like i know my market i know the, the markets that i'm in and i'm comfortable comfortable i can just buy it but i'm like that looks like an interesting market so um i've evolved my process over over the years what i do now um, which is not what i did um, back then but first thing i do is i actually 
um, find and, and try to network with um, good investors in that area and get to get to know genuine good investors, not not for a mentorship at this point, but just say, hey, how can I help you? And it's typically um, I'm willing to be a private money lender and fund on their deal. Like, you know, what a small project. If they're doing what I think I want to do in that area, how can I partner? Can I can I fund in some way? And that allows me to put eyes on their project um, and it's more, more um, uh, resources, not time and learn and dabble on whether or not I want to be in that market. And then at that point, one, I build a good relationship. I decide if I do want to go in, then I have the benefit of connecting with their team, interviewing their team, see if I want to use them as well, and then maybe get more recommendations. A lot of what I do is cash flow, so it's buy and hold rental. So the most important two people in my team are my real estate agent and my real estate um, property manager, um, because I rely on heavily on the boots on the ground. And then some Sometimes I need to do renovations. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. So the contractors are involved, but by far, I usually get those recommendations once I get my, my agent and or my property manager in place. Yeah, that's that's a great thing. And I mean, in terms of, um, you know, you mentioned mentors a couple of times. Like, What was the best piece of advice that you got from your mentors? Oh, um, best piece of advice. Yeah, it is probably... It's probably, um, how do you phrase it? Work really, really hard to be unemployable. Yeah. And I didn't understand it. And But over the years, I was able to figure out work, work really, really hard to become, become unemployable. And then the, the second part of, of that is, you know, fire yourself as often as possible. So once again, that comes to that entrepreneur, business owner mindset. Uh, unemployable means you never want to work for anyone because one, you think you have a higher value or you don't want to be tied and you want that freedom. And I think I've had that mindset, but um, I think I had to earn the right to be un unemployable because for a very period of long period of time, I didn't want to be employed, but I needed employment. I needed income. And so I had to work really, really hard to be unemployable. And then um, the, the fire yourself as often as possible. It really um, in the later part of my career has paid off. It's always figuring out how do I build a business and um I don't like the word retire, you know, because I think I'm going to work forever. I love what I do, but but always figuring out how to exit to the next thing and, you know, putting yeah, the right yeah, people yeah. in place. It's who, not how, you know, and hiring the right people to uh, still run a profitable business where you can take a step back. You can do something, oversee it, have the income from the project, the investment or, or the business. And then if you want to retire, great. If not, then it's what are you building next? And it's I love building things and I'm always going to be building things. So I got to fire myself quite often so that I can continue to build things. And so, like, I mean, in all these situations that I've seen over the years, the um, the investment business is can be a roller coaster ride. Um, and we talked about this at the outset. I mean, did your first couple of deals go really, really well? Or did you have any nasty surprises during your your Portfolio. I, I've had, yeah. It, so I, I would love to say every single one of my transactions were brilliant and I was a master. It, it doesn't happen that way, right? The reality is I have lost money on deals. I've done deals that which should have been six months that ended up being two years, right? And and just as recently as in during the pandemic, like the supply chain, I, I had a very quick, I don't, I don't do a lot of fix and flip projects, but every once in a while, when I buy a portfolio, there's a property in there that, all right, I'm not going to keep that one. So I'm going to renovate it and sell it versus keep it. And this should have been a three month, maybe a four month, you know, uh, rehab 
ended up being close to two years just yeah. because of supply chain, because no one's, you know, checking on permits, no one's working, right? And I'm not to say I'm the only one that had that issue. However, if that was the only deal, if I was like, like relying on that deal, I, I, I don't know what I would have done, right? Uh, and so it's, um, the reality is there's, you always have to have that, the, the backups and the protections because not every deal works well. I will say, I think I've been luckier than most because um, my strategy has rarely been reliant on equity, rarely been reliant on appreciation, um, natural appreciation. Um, I, I do focus on cash flow more than anything else. Um, not to say that equity is not beautiful, it is. Um, but if I buy a property today and it doesn't appreciate ever or it drops in value by half, my initial strategy will still work because that cash flow will make sure it's always a good investment. Clearly, if it appreciates in value and you're able to refinance or you're able to do something and pull out equity, that, that gives you the, the chance to, to recycle your money and accelerate faster, but it's not a requirement um, you know, for the strategy that I use. Interesting. And, and do you have any you know, habits or behaviors that you would put down as being particularly you know, success, a, a contributor to your success? So I think, ah, that's a really good one. There, there's, there's several, I, I think I'm really stubborn. So I, I, I'm not afraid to fail. And maybe it's because I wasn't telling anyone I was failing. And so maybe that maybe I really am afraid to fail publicly. And so that's why I kept my 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 uh, my journey a secret for most most of my career. But but personally, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm willing to do it as long as I'm making a calculated risk. And I know that the upside's way bigger than 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 the downside there. And and if it does fail, I have a backup plan and it's still gonna plan B is still gonna hopefully uh, be okay. Um, so I think that's key, but but several years ago, just completely changed my life, changed my business was when um, I, I kind of implemented the miracle morning concept. So I'm not a morning person at all. Um, never have been, probably never will be. Hal Elrod, I don't know if you've read, read the book, yeah, but I read it, yeah. um, it changed my life. It really, really has. It, 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 I realized that I've been living in a fog my entire life. That's the only way I can describe it because as you know, if you, you put yourself in this intentional state in the morning before everyone wakes up and you're, you're, you're slowly pulling the layers off of the fog and you're, you're putting yourself in what, what is called the flow state. And I get, if I'm able to get a good hour or two hours or three hours in this hyper-focused flow state, I probably get more done in those two or three hours than the entire week combined with this distractions, right? So if I kind of do the calculations, we're normally in a, in a normal day, I might have, sure, I'm working 8, 10, 12 hours because I work hard, but is it really productive with all the distractions? It's maybe 30, 40 minutes of real productivity. And if I'm able to get three hours of productivity in the morning, like it's almost like I have two, three, four times as much time as anyone you know, else that I'm competing with. So I call that my superpower. I call that me lifting the fog. And that's probably changed and has allowed me to even dream bigger than what I was doing at that time. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent for the early mornings. I get up five every morning and I go and I have a whole sort of routine, a little bit like the, the miracle morning that you, you go on about. Um, I was going to ask you just, I mean, obviously you, you've established yourself now as a broker as well, as, a, as an agent broker, and you have other brokers working for you. I mean, tell us about that process about, you know, because being an investor and then starting a brokerage business is, is, was that kind of a strategy to get more deal flow or tell us about your decisions around that? 
Absolutely. And I get the question a lot because I am a, a broker licensed agent. I'm in five states and, and I don't actively practice and, and help people buy real estate anymore. I'm more on the coaching and training side. Um, but a lot of people thinking about getting into real estate investing say, do I need to become a real estate agent? And I say, absolutely not. Right? It's not a requirement by any means. I just didn't have access to a great agent uh, when I started out. And, you know, data is so much different now and, and you know, things. So, so I, I, I'm glad I did. And I absolutely would want to do it over and over again if, if I had to do it over again. But I don't know if I would have. If I had an amazing real estate agent that knew how to help me in my unique needs as a real estate investor, it probably would have gone a different way. And so it was out of necessity. I got my license because I'm like, right, well, I need to control the information here. No agent that I talked about really know, like they don't even invest in real estate themselves. So how are they going to help me? And, and so that was really the concept. And then and um, it was really solely for data and information. And then I stumbled across my first client and helped them buy a home. Like literally stumbled. Someone walked in the door. I'm right, right in Waikiki, right across the Waikiki Beach. Someone walks in. I'm the only one looking up data. They're like, hey, we're looking for an agent. And I'm like, there's no one here. <laughs> like, well, we're looking to buy a home. Can someone help us? I'm like, there's no one that can help you. And then they're like, well, what about you? Are you an agent? I'm like, well, I guess I am an agent, right? And so, so almost reluctantly helped someone. Um, buy a home, right? I'm not saying it's that easy to pick up a client every single time, um, but the the reward that I found helping them, right? It's it's just a little bit different. Um, and then the economics of it, the business side of it. If you, it's it is a very scalable business. And so I started to dive in, found a mentor on the real estate agent brokerage side. I said, all right, if I want to put some time and effort into this as well, um, I'm, I'm working on my passive income. For, um, through real estate investing, but it's easier if I have active income. So can I work on my real estate agent business for active income? And could I get really good at that? And, um, you know, was lucky enough to make a lot of money as a real estate agent as well. And that funded and accelerated my ability to buy real estate. And so almost everything that I made, I pour into real estate investing. And then that funds that, the passive side of our life. So it was reinforcing it the whole time. Correct. And, and was there a particular sector that you were sort of brokering deals in? Was it residential? Was it commercial? Yeah, primary residential um, is really what, what I did starting out in, in Hawaii where half my career was. And, um, you know, on the investment side, uh, quickly shifted to multifamily, small multifamily. Um, I, 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 my specialty is I buy portfolios from a landlord, like a mom and pop landlord that might own 10, 12 buildings, um, you know, small residential properties. Um, it's often hard for them to exit, hard for them to exit at the same time. Selling them one at a time is a pain, or sometimes they can't even do that because they're all tied to one portfolio loan. And their yeah. lenders say, no, you need to exit it all at the same time. So um, over the last few years, my focus has been really helping them exit. And, you know, I, I get a, a, a discount because of that. And, and it, they're happy about that, that discount because it it's easier for their life plan as well. And then I typically... Um, back my way out of some of that portfolio. I sell off the ones that I don't want in the portfolio. I typically don't keep single families anymore and then keep the small multifamily or mid-sized multifamily. So my my main focus is buying mid-sized, but I do quite a bit in terms of I have pieces of land, development projects, commercial buildings be a part of these portfolios because if it makes sense cash flow wise, that's where I start. And then I can back out of just about anything, you know, with, with the um, appreciation or, or value add um, plans. And tell us about your decision to move 
that I mean you you mentioned that it was because of your wife that you moved to the mainland is it yes that's it her family's from here so we actually um, tried to convince her parents to take an early retirement move out to Hawaii and they did actually they did it for about a year and they're they're not ready for retirement and so at some point they moved back to uh, Virginia and I just saw how how that impacted my my wife and, and not to say I don't need my family I love my family but all my family was there and we had them this entire time so I kind of had this conversation you know you know, and I was mulling it over for a while. I'm like, I can get my license there. I can invest closer to that area. It makes sense. Real estate gives you the freedom to be able to do that. And I said, hey, you know what? We can be successful anywhere we want. If you want to go there, we'll make it work. And I'm like, there's like a three-year plan in place in my head, right? Um, of, uh, you know, because I have active transactions going on. I got to close these out. I got to set up my team to, to exit. It was probably closer to three weeks from that point, from that conversation that she was on an airplane um, you know, flew over there. So she was excited. And I had to just figure out like, all right, we didn't have a great transition plan, but we made it work. And we set up our, our business out on the East Coast. And, and it's been great. Love it. So a month, basically, between the decision and actually moving. Correct. That, that's pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that to most people or anyone really. Uh, not what I expected. But um, looking back, blessed that we, we had the opportunity to, to, to do that. And did you sell any of your Hawaiian portfolio or did you retain it? Yeah, most of my Hawaiian my Hawaii portfolio did get sold off. A lot of them had partnerships, you know, starting out. And so uh, moving forward, really tried to build our portfolio without as many, without partnerships, really. And so um, anything that was overcomplicated in terms of reporting and things like that, uh, we did sell off. And, and so that's kind of what our decision making process has been. Yeah, it's nice not to have anyone else involved in the deal. So it's kind of entirely. Yeah, you know, it's still. And like I said, I, I like helping people. I like, but I, I don't like reporting to anyone. I don't like having the obligation of, you know, I mean, so it's just, you know, my portfolio, uh, re I report to my wife or my wife, you know, checks it, but that's about it. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a nice uh, setup so far. And I mean, for people who are listening that don't know anything about Virginia, I mean, what what's the what are the demographics like there? Like with the capital city or the, the you know the main city? Yeah, we're so we're Northern Virginia, uh, narrowed down even more. We're in Loudoun County. So economics wise, we are typically the highest earning income per capita in the United States, and the second highest is our neighboring county, and the third highest is like two counties over. So there's a lot of money in this area. There's a lot of government contracts. We're 45 minutes from D.C., um, so it's a beautiful area, kind of close to country, but just there's just economic booms in this area that we've been blessed with for so long. Um, the downside of that is it increases real estate values so much, right? So it's very, very expensive for your typical person trying to live here. Um, if you bought real estate last year, you're happy because it went up. If you bought real estate five years ago, you're happy because it went up, right? So, so there is a lot of appreciation uh, in these markets and you got some markets with an average sales price of, you know, $600,000 and you have some markets with an average sales price of 1.2, $1.3 million or so. And then you have the, the grand, you know, mega mansions that are um, maybe most of our, our, our politicians and senators might live in uh, right down the road as well. So it's a beautiful area. It's very diverse. Uh, it is really a cultural mixing pot as well, which, um, I love because that's growing up in Hawaii, that that was very similar thing with, with so many economic and, and uh, backgrounds, um, you know, to, to learn from and benefit from. And so that's, that's where we live. 
And in terms of uh, just as a kind of an aside, I've noticed that when you've got good capital appreciation in a kind of city location or something like that, often I find that the yield is quite low um, in terms of rental yield. Is that what you found as well? So it's like the big big ticket price um, with lots of appreciation, but you're only probably going to eking out three or 4% or something like that. The the trade-off in buying in any market with appreciation is typically, it's gone up so much in in value and because it's not right now just starting to appreciate, right? It's been appreciating for the last two years, three years, five years, 10 years, and the rents never scale to the same level. And so in, in high appreciating markets, you're not going to get that cash flow. Um, any market, though, that you look at, a sub-market of that market might not be appreciating as much. And the cash flow is, is a better, better um, range, right? So typically, I, I, I divide markets by cash flow markets and appreciating markets. I know every market has a combination of the both. And when someone comes to me and says, hey, I want to like strategize, I want to do something, um, I just need to know like what's your focus. Do you care about passive income? Do you need income? Do you want to retire at some point with, with cash flow coming in? Do you want to create a nest egg somewhere? I'm not a big fan of the big nest egg concept because with inflation, you know, uh, it's always been an issue, but now it's a bigger issue more than ever, right? So you thought you needed $3 million in the bank. Turns out that buys you nothing anymore, right? So you yeah. need $10 million and it's always this moving target that you'll never get to. Um, so I like cash flow through, through rents because rents do... A, uh, increase with appreciation typically, and it does scale um, with with inflation better than than most things out there. So I figure out kind of explain that first because most people just think I need to invest, but they're not thinking what right. And I'm not yeah, saying it's yeah. right or wrong to be in appreciation or cash flow. They're, it's just different. And if you're trying to get both, you're probably going to get subpar options for both. So go all in on, on appreciation. If you can stand not having the cash flow, you're going to have a better appreciating asset if you do that. Or go all in on cash flow. It's probably not going to appreciate as much, but you're going to have a better cash flow um, asset. So it's, it's dividing the markets, deciding, dividing the properties. And that's why primarily I focus on the multifamily. Multifamily does not appreciate with the regular market as much because there's not a lot of buyers for a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, or even you know something up to a 20-unit building. Uh, it's typically only investors that buy that, right? And the investors only based on numbers, not emotions, where your single family home buyer, I'm going to pay $50,000 over because you put that beautiful granite in there. And, you know, it is emotion driven. So yeah, it's so uh, true. I, I do focus on that cash flow. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting you say that because I can totally relate. I mean, you see when you go and view a property and you can see maybe it's an open house or whatever and somebody else is there and you can see the you know the the the, the husband and wife and the wife is already kind of measuring the kitchen sure. you know and like you just know they exactly. absolutely are going to be after that house and whereas the investor will be kind of mm, no I, i'm not like i'm not hung up on that granite worktop you know that's exactly it yeah. So, so Omni, tell us a little bit about your book, and I mean, what are, what is the primary, you know, uh, driver and the primary lessons that you kind of expound? Yeah. Um, so the, the book's name is is Cashflow Breakfast Club. Finally, I'm excited. I got my author copy. It's not published out yet at, at the time of this recording, but um, I wrote it a few years ago, actually, and and probably never planned to publish it. Uh, but but I just needed to get my experiences on paper. And it was, um, I started to, once again, I mentioned I did most of my investing without publicly helping, training anyone about it. And, and really 
most of what I do right now is, it sounds weird to say, it, like most of my actions are guilt driven. I have, I have this tremendous guilt for not helping people along the way. People that I should have been helping, people that should not be thinking about or worrying about money to the level that they're worrying about it now, they probably could have been in a better place if I had the the courage to just like open up, right? And my, my fear was they're going to reject me or tell me that I'm stupid or whatever. Um, but I should have been able to get over that. So a lot of what I am is doing right now is trying to make up for maybe the sins of my past, not sharing it. And this was like therapeutic for me to write it down, thinking, you know, uh, you know, this is it. And and so I never really planned to publish it, but then that gave me the confidence to start training people. And I started training my agents, my real estate agents under my brokerage. Um, and, and all right, if I can help anyone, I'm going to help them become financially free because they're making a lot of money as real estate agents, but it doesn't really matter, right? But the moment they stop selling homes, they don't make any money, right? And, and yeah, yeah. most people are not great at saving or setting up that passive income. So I've made a lot of, helped a lot of agents make a lot of money over the years. And still, they're like, I don't know how to retire. And so, so that's been my focus. I started this kind of, um, this group of just agents training. And it really was not just how to be an agent, but you got to go buy some investment properties. Like your goal needs to buy X amount of properties of cash flow to get to this financial freedom plan. So I created these step-by-step kind of um, processes. Um, and in the book, I, I eventually decided to publish it. Last year, I committed to publishing it. Um, and I rewrote it in a parable format. Uh, so I took myself out of the equation, a lot of the exact same transactions and stories, but it was more comfortable. I realized that the block was, I never really wanted to tell my full story. Hesitant about that. I created this fictional character that just happened to live in Hawaii, that happened to grow up as a, become a real estate agent, that happened to start investing. And, and it's easier for me to tell that story. Um, and so that's really what it is. So it's a, it's, a, it's a story, it's a manual. And it's basically, if someone says, hey, I need your help, I want to learn how to become financially free through real estate investing, it's basically what I would tell them over a you know three to five year period, step by step, put into the book. So it sounds a little bit like uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, actually, isn't it? Well, I, I would say my inspiration, um, you know, obviously to get into this rich, is Rich Dad Poor Dad, and it has very similar uh, themes and concepts uh, as well, and and a lot of the lessons that are ingrained in me come from Rich Dad Poor Dad and so many other books, you know, along the way. And so I reference books, I reference authors as well. Um, you know, someone that finds a mentor and is learning through the mentor, and then you can kind of vicariously sit in this one-on-one, um, you know, learning experience of this newbie, wannabe, slightly cocky investor, um, you know, learning through the experience of this mentor that that's kind of sharing, sharing the knowledge and and you kind of make some mistakes along the way with him and you have some successes and it, it's a journey, um, not a destination, but it's, it's, a, it, it's been fun writing it and fun talking about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I've tried to do myself is write a book. And um, I just, I find it so difficult, the, the process of writing, whereas starting a podcast uh, has been an awful lot easier. I find it easier to, to talk and ask questions and try to kind of create that rather than sitting down over a typewriter or over a keyboard and just like typing away. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a discipline. It's definitely something, a skill that I did not have. Um, the Miracle Morning has a version for authors. So I read that. I'm like, all right, I'm already doing the Miracle Morning. Can I commit a segment of my time to just putting ideas on paper, right? Like I've taught thousands of, of classes and trainings over my over my life in terms of real estate. What can I pull from that and kind of just structure it? And they give you that structure 
Um, so I definitely would not have been able to just do it, but, but you're exactly right. The discipline is, is tough. Um, and so your book will be out soon enough. Uh, hopefully we'll get the, the link and we'll be able to. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, make sure that, that we include the link. Um, uh, OmniTheInvestorGuy.com is probably where it's going to be. Uh, that's my personal uh, website. And then we'll probably uh, funnel to that book um, in the next few weeks or so. Um, just switching gears a little bit, uh, Omni, I mean, you know, as we're recording this, the 11th of March, uh, we're a couple of, we're, we're two weeks into this awful Ukrainian uh, invasion. And I'm just curious, I mean, the, you know, gasoline prices are increasing and all of this kind of stuff. There's going to be a, we already had an inflation issue, but there's going to be a bigger inflation issue. Sure. Do you think that's going to impact the market in, in any way? Yeah, it's 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 a it's an odd time, right? It's a very odd time, and and it's on the back of another very odd time, right? We're coming out of the pandemic, you know, if we're officially coming out of that or not, but now we got to shift to this probably even bigger issue. Yeah. Um. And and um. And I don't know anyone in, in Ukraine. I had the uh, uh, benefit of going to a real estate mastermind a couple of weeks ago, and. And one of the, the attendees there, their their parents, you know, had family in, in in Ukraine, and and so it's you're able to one, you just want to like cry almost, right? You just you just feel so so bad for what's going on, um, but figuring out how do we kind of logically decide on things, and that same thing when COVID came along, one of the the superpowers that anyone really can do is is the ability to de detach for a moment. Yeah, um, I don't know if you know who Jocko uh, Willink is. I know Jocko. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. famous author. Um, Great Navy podcast. Hill, right, and so so he puts on this leadership training that's just amazing. And part of this um, investor group um, that I was a part of mastermind last week in Sedona, Arizona. Um, one of the things is we got to like hire his team to take us through combat training, right, and and wow. like do these laser guns and and. And you're going to give us um, something, and that's and, an echelon and, and, front, it, isn't it? Yes, that's exactly echelon front. So we we went through that whole day. It was the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. And you realize that, um, all right, we're all some pretty smart people in that group. We are. We're successful, smart people, but like we just look like idiots running around. Like they gave us very simple directions, like walk in a straight line, go talk to this person, and come back. And we couldn't do it because there's these distractions, right? We're looking down the scope of a, a gun that's not even real. And, and our, our focus is like this. And it wasn't until um, I had the, the ability to, they, they rotated who's going to be leaders. And I had the ability to be a squad leader, or some sort of leader of, of my small segment group. And I went out there and I'm like, all right, I'm going to protect you guys. I'm going to shoot the bad guy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then like the, the uh, our, what are they called? The instructors. They just came up to me, just turned my gun off. He's like, there, I helped you. Now, now lead. Right. And so I'm thinking like, I got to go out. I got to hunt. I got to kill. I got to protect. And then it really says, you got to detach. You can't do anything to help your people other than detach and lead. And so the ability to detach now my, you know, my focus was, was there and I, I was able to do this. I'm like, all right, well, what was the objection? Right. Walk in a straight line. Go, go, go talk to this person and come back. We can do that. Let's forget about the distractions there. So, so I guess that's a long-winded uh, way to say, you know, no matter what we're dealing with, whether it's U Ukraine or, or COVID, um, finding moments, not, not the entire life, but finding moments where we can just detach and just have a clear view of how does this affect me? Where do, where do I, th I see this going to go? Because 
Um, so many decisions are made on emotions, especially during war, especially during pandemics. And um, emotion usually is not a good indicator of uh, sound business principles. And so if you can figure out exactly how do I detach and how do I think about what's going to go on there? Yeah, there's probably going to continue to be inflation. There's probably, it's probably going to increase at a higher level, especially when it comes to oil and gas and things like that. Um, there's going to be a lot of fear. I think the stock market, um, you know, is just going to fluctuate quite a bit because it's just so um, fluid in terms of people reacting on emotion. But if we talk about real estate, the core principles are supply and demand core principles in supply and demand. And I don't know how it is, um, you know, in, in various parts of, of uh, Europe, but I'm pretty sure it's very similar to here. There's just such a drought of supply. There's just yeah. such a lack of supply. And we've been in that drought for a while. COVID, um, the pandemic made that even worse. And, and we had built up demand for a while. And then we had this like floodgate gates of demand. And so now we have like record low supplies you know, and it's not just because people don't want to sell their home. It, no homes are being built. No homes are being built for the last 10 years, the supply chain issue. Um, and so if you just like logically look through, there is no way we're going to meet the supply, you know, unless we can just snap our finger and magically make a million more homes appear. It just doesn't happen, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so there's going to be, you could plan out two years, three years, four years. All right, we're slowly meeting that supply, but it's nowhere near that, that level that we need. Yeah. Um, and so, so because of that, I'm, I'm confident in at least my strategy within real estate. You know, uh, do I think that there might be some values going up and going down in some markets? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm focusing still, once again, a lot more on the cash flow side, because if the values drop, the cash flow doesn't really drop. The, the cash yeah, flow typically yeah. stays the same, if not goes up. So um, what about it your, would be interesting. Do you have, do you take on much debt when you're buying? Um, I love debt. I do. I, I, I love debt. I typically, um, over the last few years, a majority of my purchases are cash purchases on the portfolio side. And then I try to burr and refinance out of them. And so if I could add 30 year debt um, amortized, that's my favorite. That's probably why I stay in the residential small multifamily space because I don't love um, everyone like. And, and there's uh, many friends that do syndications and big apartment buildings. And I've, I've invested us at LP side on those. And it's cool. I know there's so much opportunity there. I don't love the forced decision that I need to make in five years or seven years or 10 years because of the commercial debt, the balloon payments on most of those. I would love, I'm not against selling things, but I would love the option to never have to sell something. Um, and if I'm having to refinance in five years or seven years, I'm having to kind of wager on what that market's going to look like then. Yeah, so I do take on debt, but it's only amortized 30 year fixed. Okay, fixed for 30. That's well, that gives you a great safety net because you know exactly where you stand. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just I'm unconscious of time. Uh, I'm not, I can I just we have these final couple of questions that I ask all my guests, and I've actually thought up a new one that I, I started asking. I think it was Neil, um, and the, in one of my uh, recent interviews. And I said that there's a, there's a spectrum of people, uh, investor. You're either a gambler or you're an analyst. And one extreme is terrible and the other extreme is terrible because you'll do nothing or you'll overspend. Where would you say you find yourself in that spectrum? I love, I love analytics. I do. And I think one of my, um, my superpowers has been really good at analyzing because I do have those fears. I do have, and, and I'm... Um, 
my wife, who's a co-author on this book, is the most conservative person you'll ever meet. And, I, and so she's nervous about like, so she owns a lot of real estate with us, but she would sell it all in a heartbeat, right? Just so the reality is I need to learn how to, um, one, not just analyze, but be able to um, educate to that level as quick as possible so that we can make a quick decision. Because many of these things, you need to make a decision very quickly. So I'm probably weighted on the side of 60, 40, more taking the risk, maybe a little bit more, but heavily conscious of the importance of the analytics because I can't make a decision without the okay of someone that needs that full, full analysis there. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, I mean, I asked you what's the best advice you ever got, but what is the uh, one bit of advice that if you had the opportunity to speak to yourself 20 years ago, what would you say? What advice would you give yourself? Sell nothing. Sell nothing. As much as possible and never sell anything. Like the only thing I regret is when I sell real estate. That's it. And, And not to say I haven't made a lot of money selling real estate, but the reality is if I could have figured out how to kept everything that I bought. Not to say it, it would have made sense, um, but that's really it. I, I'm in the mode of, I want to acquire and keep and you know improve, um, but that would be it, sell nothing. Yeah, it's funny when you look back at prices and you go, I can't believe I bought it for this and yeah. I sold it for that. And I thought I was doing great, you know, selling at this big profit. And, and then 10 years on, you look back and it's like, wow, if I just hold, held on. Um, Omni, thanks so much for your time today. Um, if, if people, you did mention your website. Could you just mention it again, just so people yeah, want to Omni, the investor guy. Uh, that's my social media handles, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube as well. And, um, but the Omni, the investor guy.com is where the book's going to be as well. Okay. And the book is the Cash Flow Breakfast Club. Correct. Well, congratulations on the, the, the book, uh, Omni. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Gavin. This is a pleasure. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Omni Casey. He has a good book there that's coming out very soon called The Cashflow Breakfast Club. Um, I'll go and put a link below if it's uh, out at the time of this uh, podcast release. So as usual, I'm going to tell you to go and subscribe and like the video if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening, please leave a review on the usual podcast uh, platform. And as always, join the Facebook group and uh, community and uh, you can kind of get in contact with me. One final thing I will say is in a week's time, I'm going to be closing out the intake for the first mastermind course. So if you've stayed to the end of the video or the end of the podcast, this is your opportunity to join the uh, program. You're interested at all let me know get in contact and i'll fill you in the details we've had a couple of last minute sign-ups in the last few days so it looks like it's going to be a good course so hope to catch you guys in the near future and uh, speak to you soon